Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 133rd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we have some news to cover regarding merchandise, holograms, and a birthday dimension. After that, we head into the Innovation Center with Tom Fishenden and his guest Jurassic Collectibles, where they talk about their history with the franchise and the magic of Jurassic Park. This is a great follow-up to our chat with Jurassic Collectibles back in episode 30. Uh, geez, over 100 episodes later, uh, back in the main show. Sorry for the delay, dude. Uh, you know, time flies, I guess. <laughs> But uh, anyway, they had a great chat, so don't miss it. Rounding out the show, we'll have an introduction from new segment host, Justin Kiley, who'll be running the Missing Compi segment, covering as much as they can from the novels. This is just the kind of segment that people have been waiting for us to add to the show, so now Justin will be taking the reins on that corner of the fandom. Now, this segment is a spin-off of his brand new podcast, The Missing Compies, which you can find on iTunes and Google Play. I'm going to include all the links in our show notes, so stay tuned to hear from him and make sure to subscribe to his show. All right, well, as you just heard, we have a packed episode as usual, so why don't we get this one started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. That's just me, these pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, I hate being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. This first piece of news, actually, uh, we wrote about it on our website. It comes from CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, it's kind of like a conference for all things technology and uh, the newest and latest devices. It's very awesome. So this year, uh, the company Real Fiction has been displaying their AR technology, uh, one specifically called Deep Frame. Now, this is a mixed reality display, which is basically just a kind of a curved glass panel in front of you that displays imagery on there and makes it look like it's kind of physical and present in the room with you. Now, the reason I wanted to bring it to everybody's attention is the fact that it displayed a Velociraptor on that screen. It was a blues design, so I don't know how closely that they're working with Universal and Jurassic World and all that. I don't really know the details there, but this is obviously blues design. It's a very, very cool thing to see in front of you like that. It actually looks like it's physically in this room. And the cool part is that a lot of these videos and articles on this device are mentioning is the fact that they want to use this in museums. So what better than to use it for Jurassic World the exhibition. Now I'm sure you know all about the touring exhibition with the physical animatronic dinosaurs and so much more. It would be an amazing uh, aspect to add this uh, mixed reality AR augmented reality device into the 
um, maybe into the uh, innovation center at the end of that tour because once you make your way through all the dinosaurs you actually end at the innovation center and it looks so great it looks very good it's a little small compared to the actual innovation center in the film but um, one of those nice touches that would make that finale even better would be to add like something like this to that which is very cool now this is actually quite the expensive device so I don't know uh, what the opportunity is like for them to actually add that if it's financially feasible or not I'm not too sure but uh, this is something I feel like the exhibition sorely needs inside that innovation center you know after Jurassic World debuted so many people were talking about the holograms that were in the very center of the innovation center how unrealistic they were and how it just didn't project the type of park that we're used to in these films but uh, now here we are, and this is getting very possible in, in a different way, but um, I think this is so cool. It looks amazing. It looks just like those dinosaurs in the film, those projections there. So I think we have a lot of hope for the future here. Head to our show notes and find that link to our article to check it out. Next up here we have a tweet from Hedgehog's Corner on Twitter that showcases new Jurassic Park 25th anniversary merchandise inside Universal Orlando's gift shops and whatnot. So there's some really, really awesome designs here on display. I mean, really, you can't get much better than the Jurassic Park logo. They do add the 25th anniversary logo underneath that. It's got some really cool fossil designs behind it. And uh, they actually have this design basically on mugs, shot glasses, t-shirts, uh, it's so awesome to see this stuff actually physically in a park and uh, you know they're really hoping to sell a lot of this stuff. There's big signs for the 25th anniversary so make sure to head out to Universal and pick up some of this awesome merchandise. I'll include the photos in our show notes so make sure to check out Hedgehog's Corner on Twitter. <laughs> Speaking of merchandise you may have seen uh, on social media the past week, a ton of leaks surrounding uh, Funko, Mattel, Barbie, and Lego, all pertaining to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now really it's kind of our rule to not cover too much of that stuff, we don't want to talk out of place or spoil anything. We've mentioned a few of these items here before, like some of the Funko stuff. Uh, those are a lot of the classic figures that we talked about before, um, and we were wondering about Ellie Sattler because she seemed to be missing from that lineup of the uh, typical folk that we see from that movie. Um, but you know, she is there in the, something that we projected uh, back in one of our old episodes. We were kind of wondering if maybe she would be included with the Jeep for the Funko Pop, and uh, it looks like she will be. So that's very awesome. A lot of the Mattel stuff. Uh, the toys for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom have been leaking out. I'm not going to really talk about that. They look good. Some look good. Some look bad. I'm not really too sure until we actually see these products physically. Uh, it's hard to tell from pictures. Um, also, we have some Barbie stuff, which is really cool. I think it's really great that they're expanding into new territory with this franchise, merchandise-wise, giving girls more opportunities to play and interact with this fandom. It seems like they're really uh, dedicating a lot of their focus towards Claire, which is really awesome. So uh, I'm super excited to see where all of this leads. Next up, we have a lot of stuff from LEGO that seemed to uh, 
be leaked out as well this week. There's not much to talk about here. There's typical Lego sets. Um, we'll see them as soon as they uh, are officially announced. But uh, just as a PSA, I know we're all super excited about more merchandise. Uh, it's very awesome time for all of us as fans, but uh, just be careful sharing a lot of those pictures and whatnot. They're all leaked materials, so they're not really supposed to be shared and not seen by the public just yet. So uh, maybe think about it twice before you go ahead and post that stuff and uh, maybe spoil it for others or just maybe uh, hopefully you don't get yourself in trouble posting that stuff as well i know a lot of the uh, companies are asking everybody to take that stuff down so you don't want to really get yourself involved in that this is the part where i usually say head to our show notes check out the pictures check out the articles blah 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 we don't have any of that stuff so don't look there because we don't showcase it so cool so anyway there you go there's some information and i hope you enjoyed that Next up, we have a, uh, a pin here from our buddy Rob J. Yeo. He actually um, debuted this, I think, I don't know if it was Kickstarter. I think it was Kickstarter, uh, where you could buy this awesome Falling Explorer pin. Um, that thing went and sold, and it's awesome. I actually have it here right, here, uh, right in front of me. It's a very awesome pin made of uh, 35 millimeter hard enamel. Uh, depicts that falling explorer from Jurassic Park the ride in Universal Studios Hollywood um, So now it is available for purchase for everybody um, If you did miss that initial Kickstarter, so go to his Etsy page I'll leave the link in our show notes I just wanted to give you all a heads up because I know a lot of people were asking about it after the initial Kickstarter So just a heads up check our show notes and go buy that awesome pin <laughs> Lastly, here in the news, I just wanted to wish a happy birthday to Omar C. on January 20th, this Saturday. Happy birthday, dude. It was great having you in Jurassic World. You're a character that I really would have loved to see more of. Not sure that we're going to get that, but uh, hopefully in the future there's some opportunities for you. Thanks again, man, and happy birthday. Oh, there it is. There it is. If I don't innovate... Somebody else will. Due to technical difficulties, all our exhibits are now closed. You are acting like we are engaged in some kind of mad science. And Zara here is going to take great care of you until I'm done working tonight, okay? Bigger. Scarier? Um, cooler, I believe, is the word that you use in your memo. Any incidents? Yeah, six kids in the lost and found, uh, 28 down with heat stroke. All of this exists because of me. It's like taking a stroll through the woods 65 million years ago. Hello everyone, welcome to another segment here on the Innovation Center. Tonight we're doing something a little bit different, we're joined with a special guest, so without any further ado, I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Hi guys, it's uh, Jurassic Collectibles here. I'm sure anyone listening to the podcast will already be familiar with Jurassic Collectibles and the fantastic work he does reviewing all sorts of different Jurassic-themed merchandise we have. So it's great to be joined by a fellow fan and not be rambling on to myself as I usually do in these segments. Um, Thank you for having me. No worries, man. I'm excited to get going. So in terms of kind of how I'd like to structure this, we've spoken a little bit beforehand and... With the fact that we're very close to Fallen Kingdom starting its marketing hype train now, we'd kind mm. of like, I guess, to give a sort of retrospective view on how we got into the franchise, wouldn't we? And I think, actually, before we started recording, I was considering this, and I have a feeling I'm going to shock you at how late I actually got into the franchise, so I'm not sure if you're going to be ready for that, but we're going to see how it goes, hopefully. <laughs> 
That's okay. It's never too late to bring <laughs> the Jurassic Park franchise. Right. Um, Sierra, I guess, how did you get into the Jurassic franchise, JC? Uh, well, go back to, wind it back to 1993, I think. And um, I think I was, uh, I was around six years old and I, I was uh, in the living room. Um, my parents were in the kitchen, so they were in a separate room and on the TV there was a morning program, I think it was GMTV or something similar, and they had a trailer for Jurassic Park come up. It was a, like a promo thing. Yeah. And uh, I saw that short clip, and it must have had like clips of the T-Rex. Um, I think there was the shots of the Gallimimus in there. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. And I literally remember... As soon as it finished, I got up, screamed, ran out to the kitchen <laughs> to, to my family and, and and basically said, I've just seen a real dinosaur on television or the closest thing I'll ever see to a real dinosaur. And um, they were like, oh, wow, it's, like, it's this new film. I don't know what it's called, but I want to see it when it comes out. And I remember that moment, that very specific, you know, kind of euphoria, that, yeah. that promo clip, you know, instilled in me. And uh, I guess it's, it's never gone away. And that was, um, I think it was the fact that I was being almost taken back in time to be able to see things resurrected from the past. And yeah. um, I think Steven Spielberg summed it up well when he said that to children, it's kind of like mythology, but it's real. And I think that's that's the really unique part about Jurassic Park is that you basically get to peek into the past and kind of maybe what dinosaurs did look like. You know, we kind of know they look a bit different, but... You know, in fact, you just being able to see something that's from the past like that is just, yeah, it's like having a time machine. I think in some ways as well, it's probably up until the point of Jurassic Park coming out, we really hadn't seen anything done in such a visceral manner as well. Like, you'd obviously seen cartoons and books, everything like that, but to really get those kind of brand new animatronics that at the time were pioneering technology, really, seeing them on screen was just... It was a different kind of immersion than I think we had ever experienced with cinema before. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think the, the up until that point we'd had stop motion basically. I think yeah. we'd had we'd had some animatronics, but nothing to that sort of level where they'd really put everything into making sure that these things looked absolutely real. And then you had the advent of visual effects, which in itself was a completely new medium, and we hadn't seen apart from Terminator Two, which was completely different in terms of its look and feel I mean you were talking about plasticky looking sort of CG animation still very cool and and chrome and chrome effects but very simple textural objects and then suddenly you take this leap to Jurassic Park and you're looking at a tangible animal on screen living breathing walking in a medium that we'd never seen before as smooth as you like and that was just like whoa it was like a shock to the senses it is literally like we had taken a leap 20 years into the future and the more I look back at Jurassic Park the more I realise how innovative they were for the time and how much they basically took their time and went right we're going to get every part of this as good as we possibly can to make sure that these things look real and boy did it pay off I mean in terms of the amount of you know, when you just watched Jurassic Park for the first time back in 1993, it was like, oh my god, like these things are real. They are really real. How on earth did they do this? this yeah. Is like, this is like unlike anything I've ever seen in cinema before. And uh, yeah, I just remember that, yeah, knocking my socks off. I kind of, I think in terms of all the like behind the scenes photos and things I've seen since getting more invested in the community recently it's incredible how far they went to actually capture the real feel because I know um, 
prime example being the scene with Tim and Lex when the animatronics attacking the explorer it was mm. actually really happening because it was malfunctioning due to the rain machines wasn't it oh, that's always really? stuck with me yeah <laughs> i remember crazy. reading that so to think that like they went as far as saying hey we've got this really expensive piece of equipment but we're still willing to go and do this to get exactly the right feel behind it i think is yeah. it's a true testament to what i think the franchise is about in terms of creating really practical immersion which sadly later installments haven't done as well but still i think they do definitely push the boundary in terms of trying to get that kind of hands-on level stuff that you just don't get anywhere else nowadays to be honest Mm, mm, i know what you mean yeah it's still crafted i know in terms of how i got into the franchise yeah i was actually i'm a late bloomer i was a 99 baby so by this time yeah by this point the kind of whole hype had gone past for the first film and i think my parents were never actually really that into the franchise unfortunately so this is fast forward into i think around 2006 when Mm. i was like off the top of my head about eight or nine years old i really got into um primeval and that was kind of what launched my interest into dinosaurs and really and then from there went out and looked at jurassic park and started watching the films and i think actually it was nice for me because i watched the films at a point where there was like a three-year gap and then jurassic world came out so for me i was kind of like oh i've just got into the franchise there's nothing new coming out again oh wait and that was quite nice because it kind of breathed new life into something that i originally was like okay there's these three films and then i'm not going to get anything else out of the franchise apart from obviously the comics and everything like that so to then that's cool come back and find jurassic world was really cool I think it's really cool that there is a Jurassic World generation because I feel like it must be amazing to go back and enjoy those films. You know, you said yeah. you got into it, you know, around 2000, what was it, 2008, you said? Yeah. Uh, you know, going back and watching those films. Like, I go back and watch films that were made before I was born, ones that were really good, and I think, wow, this stuff was made before I was even alive. Yeah. And it, like, it, it's, it's better than some of the stuff that comes out today. And it's just, you know, I think that oftentimes that increases how amazing something is when you think at the time when this was made this was you know still amazing but now it's great and it was made that you know that amount of time ago so for me I always think of films in terms of like their context when they were made because a lot of people dismiss films and say oh that's really bad CG or that's really but then you've got to think well actually for the time when it was made this was this was groundbreaking and yeah. still the story works and that's that's always really impressive but now that's cool that's interesting to hear that 2008 wow yeah that's so-, <laughs> so you were born the year that phantom menace came out yeah actually i tell you what my parents wouldn't let me go and see um a star wars film in the cinema until they thought i was old enough so i actually only saw revenge of the sith in cinemas and ironically enough that's kind of another whole story where i thought okay this is the end of the franchise i'm seeing the last star wars film that's ever going to come out in cinemas and now obviously we got the new six then right six when that came um let me think i'm 18 now so so it was two was it 2005 that revenge of the sith came out I'm not sure, actually. Quite possibly. Yeah, it was. So yeah, you're right. I would have been six. So wow. Yeah. I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. I'm having a trip down memory lane right now. I'm like, oh man. Um, Yeah. Wow. I I think the thing that always stood out for me when I got into Jurassic Park as well was 
obviously I came into it from Primeval and with Primeval the guys at Impossible Pictures did a really good job with the CGI but mm. then jumping from CGI to actual real what, what are practically real dinosaurs was incredible for me and I was yes. looking at it and going well this film came out way before Primeval hit television screens and yet That's these right. dinosaurs still hold up and they're better than the CGI in a modern day program which is just amazing for me it was quite interesting plotting the evolution of all that stuff because when Jurassic Park came out, the visual effects that they did for that film was pretty much was industrial uh, industrial light magic, and then there was yeah. digital domain and a few other VFX houses who were doing CGI to a level that was acceptable for film. And um, I, I've actually read about it since, but apparently what happened is they did a lot of these visual effects, and then they really tightened up how much information got out of these visual effects houses so they they tried to keep everything really secret because they realised that as soon as this got out of the bag everyone would be able to make CG dinosaurs yeah and there was a real drought between like 1993 all the way through till I think it was about 1999 when things really weren't being done that well in terms of CG you had uh, The Lost World obviously which yeah. was again ILM but you, you had these kind of early years of visual effects when not many houses were really doing it. And then 1999 comes around and you've got like walking with dinosaurs. I mean, in terms of dinosaur visual effects anyway. And you've got um, Framestore doing the effects for that. Yeah. And, and that was in London. So obviously things had got to a point where, you know, VFX companies were in London were starting up. And Framestore did this early, you know, walking with dinosaurs and... Things kind of went from there, and now there's loads of VFX houses all around the world. Yeah, it's just exploded, hasn't it? It's amazing, but uh, yeah, it's funny how they kind of like tightened up all that knowledge, and then like it all got out eventually, anyway. Um, But yeah, it's just interesting to plot the evolution, and then Framestore actually went on to do Primeval from that. So they basically had you know pipelines in place. They'd already done lots of films. I think they were doing Harry Potter, you know, all of that. So yeah, it's kind of you could plot the evolution of dinosaur visual effects what was going on what was the next big leap and just it being done in the UK for me was very exciting because it was like wow they're doing Jurassic Park stuff but here like somewhere closer to where I live yeah and um, that for me was very very exciting and I actually was lucky enough to visit Framestore at one point and oh awesome uh, yeah and saw one of the guys who was um, in the walking with dinosaurs uh, behind the scenes material yeah. and stuff and I was like it's him it's <laughs> and um, yeah and, and yeah and I know a few animators who were kind of working on Primeval and doing some of the, the animals for that so yeah so it was cool it's, it's, um, it's amazing how um, things have evolved over time and and, and yeah, it's just interesting to plot that kind of journey. I don't know whether you, you were into walking with dinosaurs at all, or well, I wasn't at the time. I'm starting to get more into it now, though, because I've actually got tickets for the new live tour they're doing. So I'm ah, going cool. back through, and I'm like <coughs> trying to look through. And actually, I was on the um, Impossible Pictures website the other day, and what you were saying about being able to document CGI is true because I was looking through, and actually, yeah. a couple of the assets that were in walking with dinosaurs then got slightly updated and we used this, the same model in Primeval which was quite That's interesting right. yeah. yeah, there's a lot of reuse in the VFX industry there's a, it, it still goes on to this day um, because it's just well I mean the whole thing you know all of the setups for creatures and things they're all reused modules and things yeah. so 
So yeah, reuse is the name of the game. If you've got something that looks similar and you just need to upgrade it, then um, you should. I mean, that's kind of happened since the beginning as well. If you look at the Rontos in the 1997 Star Wars update, yeah. they they just modified the Brachiosaurus from Jurassic Park to make those Rontos, which became, <laughs> became a whole new creature in the Star Wars universe and still is to this day. And you can there's a toy that came out for it and stuff. But that was essentially the Brachiosaurus modified and retextured a bit so yeah it's just interesting that is super cool i never knew it they actually used the same cgi model for that but just updated yeah. it that's it was so cheaper cool. to just yeah to just yeah. tweak it interestingly as well the t-rex model that was used in jurassic park the way that they actually created that was to scan uh, a laser scan a, a sculpt a stan winston sculpt of the t-rex yeah which gave them like a dense mesh which is you know if, i don't know if you've done 3d scanning or photogrammetry or anything like that but you get a dense mesh back yeah they had that same thing so they had all this lovely data and then they actually paid someone to go in and remove vertices by hand to create the wireframe mesh that was workable so nowadays you don't do that at all but essentially it's a very painstaking process you'd have to go in mathematically and work out which points to delete and which ones to keep in order to create a deformable mesh and that's like it's just amazing that they actually did that it's a bit like doing it the longest way possible because at the time that was the only way to do it so yeah, it's pretty impressive. And also, they they only had about sixty five shots, I think, in total. And um, that meant that if the shot looked bad, they could actually go in per frame and edit it in Photoshop. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is quite often what they did. Um, same with uh, Terminator. If stuff looked off, they could go in and use Photoshop because obviously um, John Knoll and Thomas Knoll they developed Photoshop and yeah. he worked he worked at ILM and they would use Photoshop to go in and modify per frame if they needed to to make it look right. So that's the kind of level of detail that they could work at. Also, that would be painstaking now. You wouldn't bother going in and changing I something. was just sat here thinking, so are you telling me all my Lego Photoshop jobs could lead to VFX? But now you've said that, I'm like, oh, absolutely. no, <laughs> You just need a time machine, go back to 993 <laughs> and apply for uh, for Jurassic Park. I can't, I can't tell you what the software is going to be like. It's probably <laughs> awful. It'd be like wearing boxing gloves doing Photoshop. I'll just take my Mac back into the future and make a bunch of money. It's all good. There you go. <laughs> So, um, I think an interesting thing you touched on earlier as well was when you were talking about stop motion, because I know it's mm. been going around lately that they actually originally considered just going with stop motion for Jurassic yeah, Park, didn't that's they? Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's quite right. Phil Tippett. Yeah. I do find, I think it's, I think it was important that they definitely went with VFX and also animatronics, because it's pioneered the shape the industry's taken so much more than, I, th- I think, had they gone with stop motion then perhaps VFX wouldn't have got the attention it got for another few years. Because obviously, as you said, we had Terminator. But I think when people think of early VFX work, Jurassic Park is one of the things that sticks in people's minds, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because we also don't know what stop motion would have looked like if it had happened. So, if yeah. it, like, if it, because Phil Tippett always says it would have been the best stop motion ever done. And the stop motion test that we see that everyone goes, oh, well, this is what it would have looked like. No, that's not what it would have looked like. That was a... That was a animatic. That was a block for it. So, some of that, you know, the timing looks pretty good. I mean, it moves a bit fast here and there. You know, the timing is a bit off. But yeah. what you got to remember is that's like a storyboard in stop motion. So imagine what the real thing would have looked like when Phil Tippett had kind of maybe found a way to animate the muscles flexing in the leg and stuff. You know, like it would have been amazing. Yeah. And you know, I think 
probably it would have been digitally comped and I think they talked about that I think that was what ILM was originally hired to do was to composite the stop motion T-Rex into the shot okay and the, and and you know they did a great job at compositing their own CGI effects into the shot so you kind of think oh well actually it might have looked really really good yeah especially um, if the quality of stop motion was as good as you're saying Phil Tippett would have tried to get it to that's it yeah so we don't know like would would the history of cinema being changed would would we have had now two directions moving would we have stop motion moving at a, a ridiculous rate and the effects moving at the same time yeah. and probably they'd be used maybe next to each other I mean Phil Tippett might have been changed it might have changed his career forever he might have been doing stop motion creatures all the way through the 90s or for all sorts of things yeah so yeah it's interesting to think about it but yeah VFX definitely got there earlier than I think anyone expected to it's a bit like they took a time machine back and <laughs> did it and did it in 1993 if we're honest no one really caught up with it until around 1999-2000 so yeah. Yeah, it's, it is pretty staggering. But yeah, stop-motion version of Jurassic Park, how cool would that be? Just it would be it. awesome. I think it's kind of... Uh, a lot of the reading I've been doing lately is into the alternate editions as well, inspired by the novel, like, with the sequence for the raft, and it's just oh, incredible yeah. to think at how different Jurassic Park could have been compared to what we actually got. Absolutely. It's quite dark as well, the novel. Yeah, like, it the is. More, the more I go back to it, the more I think, oh, my God, it's really, like... I mean, visceral. You used the word visceral earlier on, but it is a very visceral book, and you think, "Oh God!" The bit when um, is it Ed Regis gets attacked by the young Tyrannosaurus. Oh, Rex. and yeah, it's basically just goading him and teasing him. That's it's, right. It's horrible, and he, he yeah. says, "Like he says, like back off." You know, like I don't, you know, I'm not playing. And then it, it kills him. It's like, whoa! Can you yeah. imagine that being in the film where it's like, whoa, okay. This is suddenly like you—you you think he was all right, like he's kind of knocking off a uh, like a wild dog or something, but then yeah. all of a sudden it eats him. It's like whoa. Um, whereas in the film, it's much more kind of like the threat is obvious and it's huge, and you know because it's an adult T Rex. Yeah. So um, yeah, you do wonder what, and also what the other directors, what the sort of direction other directors might have taken it, because I think. Um, Joe Dante and maybe was it Tim Burton? I can't remember. Yes, there was a Tim Burton script at one point. It was a bit darker, actually, yeah. Because I, I saw that weird. mentioned the other day as well, yeah. I mean, I can't, can't imagine a Tim Burton Jurassic Park, can you? Oh, I reckon it would have just been like, oh, the dinosaurs are actually really living skeletons or something really weird like that. I think it could have been quite bizarre, actually, yeah. a Jurassic Park by Tim Burton. I think it would have been more fantastical than... Do you know what I mean? Sort of yeah. like Willy Wonka-esque. Yeah. You know, where it's all a bit a bit sort of OTT rather. I think I think it's it's good that Spielberg uh, dealt with the film. It's a bit like The Force Awakens. I, th- I don't know how you feel about The Force Awakens, but I think a lot of fans were relieved that he took the helm and, 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 and did that film because yeah. uh, it turned out pretty good. But we'll never know what you know other directors would have made of that first chapter. But... Um, yeah, it's like, I think it's kind of like you can go breathe a sigh of relief that episode seven turned out the way. It <laughs> yeah, did. for sure. I actually, uh, I did, I really enjoyed it, but there's just something about the new trilogy it doesn't sit with me. I think it's just because obviously, as I was saying earlier, I saw what I thought was going to be the last ever Star Wars film. Ah, cinema, right. Yeah, and now yeah. that's kind of taken the charm off of that, which actually leads nicely into the fact that I really hope that with Jurassic, if they do decide to do anything else after Jurassic World 3 they do it right, because mm, with mm. Um, 
Disney having announced the new Star Wars trilogy already before the current trilogies even run through. Yeah, I'm really yeah. hopeful that we don't kind of just get more films for the sake of it. I want them to be quite meaningful. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've talked before about like you know after this whether the next step is a reboot whether yeah. the next step like we leave it a while and then we have a reboot or whether the next step is some kind of TV show yeah or whether the next step is like a prequel i suppose it depends on how the trilogy does because if the second and third films don't fare as well as the first and, yeah. and they completely bomb or, or critically get panned and then the third one is terrible or something like that then then the appeal of doing more will kind of fade away but if they do really great which i'm hoping they do then fingers you know, crossed yeah then maybe we will get a new trilogy in which case they usually know ahead of time which isn't always a great thing because it means that when they get to the end of this trilogy they'll be like uh-huh yeah like there's another trilogy coming they'll and then it's like kind of like ties. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like, oh, damn, just just sort out this trilogy before you think about the next one. Um, so yeah, I do hope that this is like the the world trilogy is encapsulated. Yeah, in a way that kind of rounds it off. I always call back to Back to the Future Part Three, where it just sort of everything gets rounded off, and you're like, yes, that's the answer I wanted. It's all satisfied, and it's and it's it's summed up. That's the end of the trilogy. Great. And that those are the best trilogies for me. If I'm honest, yeah. Indiana Jones trilogy ends at the Last Crusade. Oh, I me. agree with that. Yeah, and I think that is like that's how films should remain. And um, I've talked on Twitter about this. I don't think that films should be extended for the sake of it. If, yeah. if it's got an ending, the problem was with Jurassic Part Three. It didn't really have an ending. It it ended, <laughs> but, but it, it ended with a kind of well, what's going to happen to the dinosaurs now, didn't it? So I left it very up in the air. Exactly. Yeah. And I think Jurassic World, although it's taken a nice fresh direction, um, the Park trilogy still remains unresolved. So it'd be nice yeah. to have that dealt with in some fashion in this new trilogy, in in the film world. So if you were to watch the films in order, it would actually work. It wraps up nicely, yeah. Yeah, as a kind of, I don't know what you'd call a, a, sec, a sec trilogy. I don't know what you'd call six films in a row. But anyway, um I hope that it just wraps all of those loose ends up. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, it's wrapped up in the expanded universe and the Maserati website, and I love all yeah. that content. That's great for fans, and that is brilliant. But I think there is something to be said for having no chronology in the film universe. Oh, when yeah, you right, watch, I agree with that. When you watch one, two, three, then four, and then number five doesn't answer any of what part three left hanging, then you're kind of like, oh... Right, and then you never go back to site B. Let's say, yeah, like like what? Like you're going to be by the end of the six films, you're going to be like, yeah, that was great and all, but what about site B and all this stuff that happened? And you remember in when Alan Grant said it's not on Ingen's list and all that. It's going to yeah. really stand out if you watch them again. And um, I don't know, maybe that's not important to Universal anymore, but I think it's important to the fan know, base, the fan base, yeah. and also just people watching it. It's like you watch it in order, you go, oh. Okay, um, you know, and maybe you'd bypass part three. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just think there's something to be said for that sort of encapsulated film universe where things are tied up. Yeah, I agree with you actually. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me, and I'm gonna pull up Google quickly and see if I can find his YouTube channel just to reference who I'm about to mention. Okay. Um, 
Oh, where is it? Let me have a little look. Clayton Fioriti, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his oh, channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, he's been doing a series going through the comic books lately. And yes. what I really liked was how in the comic books you actually get Biosyn back. Because that is still a massive loose end that we've not learned anything yes. out. And as far as we're yes. aware, Universal just don't want anything to do with it anymore, do they? Which is a bit frustrating. Yeah, I suppose it might be linked to the fact that the... Was it the actor who played Dodgson is now... Um, he's now in jail, isn't he, I think? I think so, yeah. Um, so, I don't know, maybe they don't want to tie back to that thread just because he was the actor. I don't know, but I have a feeling like Dodgson's going to return somewhere in this new... Yeah. trilogy as a, as a new actor um, yeah there was talk about like a casting wasn't there or something like that that somebody thought could have been him but then people were like well why would they not hire the original and that was when it was all yes of, like, yeah yeah I think I think you know I think it, it would be good to tie back to those old threads I don't think is Biosyn mentioned though in Jurassic Park I don't know if it is it's not we, we never get any context as to who's trying to steal the embryos so theoretically, it could be anyone. Um, yeah. I think, off the top of my head, I don't think they're mentioned. I think people have just made the association through the books. Okay. Um, so I, I, I was talking about the other day about, I think you were part of this thread where we were talking on Twitter about um, how you should like root an event back in Jurassic Park and tie yes, it to the yes. new trilogy and how that would give a backbone to the whole series of films yeah and you know we were talking about like Henry Wu being in on the plot originally with Dennis Nedry yeah yeah I remember I, yeah I actually think that's a valid plot and and like there could be something like that that they're gonna weave in that that kind of basically ties Henry Wu back to that original plan you know he left on the boat to go back but he was maybe part of the whole Dennis Nedry plan. What if he was the guy on the phone that he calls on his... Do you know what I mean? Like, something yeah, weird something, like that. Some where, kind of tie, though, that brings it yeah. together, even if it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely not Henry Wu on the, the, on the dock. But, you know, something like that where, you know, it just ties it back yeah. in with the original film. I wouldn't be surprised they try and do something like that. And if that's the case, they might do something like this plot with Biosyn where... You know, this whole, um, oh, what's the name of this new guy, Lockwood? Lockwood, Lockwood, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, maybe Lockwood is kind of a biosyn or something. Maybe he was. Yeah, that was my Alan's initial theory. Old business yeah. partner turned rival. And that's maybe what, what's going on. Maybe he, he basically wants to recover the assets and he's kind of using this um, sort of. He's using this cover of a rescue mission in order to actually acquire all the assets so he can use them to his own ends. And something yeah. like that might happen. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see, because I think, you know, it's, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the plot. But, you know, we don't want to get into spoiler territory. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, I think, you know, something like that would be cool to see. Yeah. And I think if you don't reward the fans in that way, it would be like, huh, you... you could have done anything and and you chose to basically disassociate yourself with the entire original trilogy yeah. you know it's fair it's fair enough going in a fresh direction but i think if you're f coming from those first three films to not tie yourself narratively to the originals would be like a missed opportunity yeah i agree i don't know if this was one of the threads that we're all in on twitter as well but i was saying i think it was 
it was either to Fede or somebody else about um, the fact that Jurassic World really should have put that Hoskins capture mission and a couple of other things into an actual prologue scene so we got some more context on how it transitioned from what it originally was See, now I don't know how much you'd have to check with um, Jack and the guys over at Masrani, but I don't know how much was written uh, retrospectively. So, like, yeah. whether they'd already shot the film and then they were kind of doing the EU stuff afterwards, or whether they were, I imagine they were doing it at the same time, but yeah, some sort of prologue. I mean, the thing is, we don't know how much was cut from the film as well, really, yeah. and whether the runtime of the film was cut down and down and down, and originally. Trevor Rowe had in mind to, to do some really cool extra stuff. I mean, we know he took a picture of the East Dock yeah. under a load of leaves, so who knows what other stuff um, he shot and um, wanted to include. Also, I always find it weird that the Barbasol cryocan thing is in the commercial, and I know people say that was just purely for that commercial, but it looks like a really high production value. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm, I've always thought, like, you know, was that shot went on set like was that somewhere or is that you know like, I can't see I don't know but I just can't see Barbasol recreating that whole yeah, no, it, piece it, of set I, with yeah. the mud it looked really filmic it did it looked really like it was an actual part of a film set like you're yeah. saying and, and if just... you were doing that like as a commercial for a shaving foam ad you would like it would look worse than that let's be honest yeah. And it had, like, lightning effects and all sorts. So it's kind of like, oh, right. Well, I wonder if that was something that they had on set. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, whether the can was even involved or they find Nedry's old car or something. I don't know. But I feel like maybe maybe there was something shot there. Who knows? It is but interesting yeah. to think how much we don't actually see in the end, isn't it? Yeah. And how much gets left on the cutting room floor. It's even the same with Jurassic Park. There's... There's bound to be reels of footage of stuff that they shot that we just don't see, you know, yeah. the, the other, the odd takes that didn't work and, you know, things that they shot extra and then felt were redundant and, you know, deleted scenes weren't really a thing back then because we were still on VHS and it, there would have been less sort of motives to preserve those, you know, yeah. those those cuts. Because there was no, nothing to do with them, they were just trash, basically. Yeah, exactly, whereas now there's kind of foresight, oh, yeah, keep that, because that might make a good extra on the DVD, and that's valuable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because people love deleted scenes now. So, yeah, it, w- it would be cool to, um, I don't know if they'd ever do this, but to actually go through the archival footage and release, you know, the other takes or things that were left out or... Like, you know, I own uh, Ray Arnold's arm, and I've got the leg of Ray Arnold as well, and in the storyboards, Ellie Sattler trips over Ray Arnold's leg. Yeah. And then she has a limp in the film. Um, so but it's never explained why she has it, because it got cut, no, didn't it? Yeah. exactly. So there's obviously that, and it's production news, the leg is production news, it's got the same signs of wear that the arm has. So it's obvious that they set that shot up and filmed it, but it's just not. In the final cut, yeah. Yeah, it's not anywhere. So the shot is there somewhere, and they obviously felt, mm, this shot looks a bit dodgy or doesn't look right. It doesn't have a shoe on its foot. I don't know if they took the, the <laughs> shoe. Someone, yeah. Well, someone said, well, the fact that it has a shoe is interesting because he props the door open with his shoe in the film, in the novel, sorry. He props the door of the shed open when he goes in with his shoe. Yeah. But to be honest, the shoe, the actual, the exposed foot looks really weird and it doesn't have toes. So I think they probably would have had a shoe on the end of it. Yeah, and it's just got lost in um, yeah, maybe transport they, or whatever, yeah. 
maybe Universal reused it for another costume for another production anyway. But it had in the storyboards the leg is like sticking out from under like almost like if you imagine like a cubicle or something it looks like it's kind of sticking out of a of underneath of a cubicle so yeah somewhere i reckon that you know that shot exists and her tripping yeah. on it and hurting her ankle but that's actually quite a hard shot to make it look right unless you're a stunt woman or something so i mean i'm assuming they had a stunt woman to do all that stuff because i think there is uh, there's ellie's uh, stunt woman in lots of shots yeah. but yeah so yeah it would be cool to see stuff like that you know takes that that were just cut they might be just one shot so they kind of think oh, it's not really worth it but I think fans would say yes it is yeah, worth it yeah fans would re- crave it so much please rescan it <laughs> yeah. in the HD you know 4k version thanks but then again knowing our track record with Jurassic box sets it would probably be oh we've conveniently found some new footage for this box set and there's conveniently some more new footage for this box set and I could kind of see it going that way oh but I mean the 25th anniversary is a pretty big event coming up yeah. and um you know, I think there's been a lot of chatter about the the cover artwork on the Blu-rays, and I think, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, people are saying it's going to be the standard release. I I really hope it's not. Yeah, I hope there's something new. Yeah, because it would be amazing to to see you know some new content, but and you know we don't know if Universal's got that or not. So we'll have to wait and see. I think the nice thing that I would really like to see, and I know. Um, did you ever get the DVDs that The Sun did on Star Wars where it was a retrospective yeah. look through with Anthony Daniels? Yeah. Yes. Stuff yeah, like that would that be was so really good, good for Jurassic. Yeah. Like, yeah, just to look back. I'm yeah, so glad you, you have... got that reference. I was going <laughs> yeah. out on a whim there. <laughs> they brought out, like, CD-ROMs as well that would have, like, video footage on them. Like, yeah. um, there was one for episode two, and... Um, that would have been well. So you would have been three years old, I think. Oh my god! So yeah, <laughs> but they had CD-ROMs with like a free AOL stuff on it, and you'd always like go away AOL, and then you'd like it would have like videos of you know behind the scenes stuff on it, and it was like yeah. stuff that ended up being on the DVD, but you had it when the film was coming out. It was like promo stuff. So I always used to love that stuff. There was also a CD-ROM called Star Wars Behind the Magic. I think uh, I've got that. Possibly. Really? It rings it's a, a bell, yeah. It's so good. So that was like... I had loads of deleted scenes and the original cantina shot in black and white. Uh, loads of stuff on it that was... Like, for me, was mind-blowing because you didn't have DVDs back then. It was 98, 99, yeah. and you didn't have DVDs. I think it was 98 because it had a, a like a teaser for the Phantom Menace on it, but it wasn't like it didn't really show you anything. Um, and yeah, that was mind blowing because that was like DVD before DVD in terms of deleted scenes. And I remember showing it to my friend, and we were just like minds blown because it was like this extra scene in A New Hope where he's hanging out with um, was it Biggs? Is it Biggs? No, not yeah. Biggs. Is, is this Biggs? the scene with? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, is it where um, he's in the Imperial Academy gear? Uh, or am I getting at concept art? Because I know there's they made a figure of Biggs in Imperial Academy gear. On oh yes, that's what I think he yeah. is. Yes, I think it's on Tatooine. Yeah, and he's and he's chatting with him, and he tells him that he spotted a a battle going on overhead, which is the the blockade runner being chased by the Star Destroyer. And he looks up and says, "No, no, it's nothing. Don't worry." <laughs> and, and yeah, I remember that. It was it was like whoa. A whole new scene from A New Hope, and that was like mind blowing. Yeah, but yeah, it was sort of like technology before it, it became mainstream. 
Something yeah, I really liked with Jurassic World, and I don't know if this was actually shot on the set or if it was something that they did in studios afterwards, right. was the live feed they did on the website all across the park. I thought oh. that was really cool. I didn't know they did that. What, you mean uh, for Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic World? Jurassic World, where you've oh, got, right. like, the... Have you actually... Yeah, like, there was the... Um, t-rex paddock and i remember that bit because when i first saw it it's just it's literally just footage of trees like shaking but i still thought it was really cool that they actually went through and took proper video and there's like um one where it's members of the jurassic world staff in their break room stuff like that so really doing that kind of like side video stuff i think is always really good as well that's cool yeah i love all that viral stuff I think they did it really well when they did the Matrix as well. When they did the Matrix trilogy, they they like had a whole uh, what was it, Metacortex or something? The company yeah. that that Neo worked for in in the first Matrix, and they had like a corporate website for them. That was the first time where I saw viral marketing done in that way, where it was like a fake uh, company website portfolio thing, yeah. and um, you could like go into a certain part of it and like hack into it oh like the Masrani backdoor yeah exactly yeah yeah. so they did that for the Matrix and that was a real big thing and like the fans like found loads of stuff through that that kind of gave them clues about the trilogy and you know probably the less said about 2 and 3 the better but they kind of it was it made a really immersive experience for the fans and that's that's always really cool to see it's quite cool that we've actually transcended onto the idea of these virtual marketing campaigns because I've actually just written an article for the podcast which will be coming out whenever Brad decides to post it that um, talks a bit about the kind of viral campaign I would do for Fallen Kingdom if I was working for Universal because I think oh, there nice. is there is a lot of potential for it. I mean, um, the one I did was based off... Did you ever see the viral campaign for Cloverfield? Yes, yeah, yeah, I did. It was yeah, based off that, that kind of blog format because I remember I stumbled across that. I've not actually seen the film, but oh, right. I saw the yeah, I saw the marketing and I thought it's the marketing film, was really cool. I do yeah. want to check it out. It does look really good. Yeah, it's got that sort of um, not. It is a little bit, but it's sort of like uh, how can I say? Yeah, it's like guerrilla filmmaking it's like shot from a camcorder isn't it yeah it was like you know Blair Witch Project did it first but you know it's kind of like that was J.J. Abrams you could see he was having fun with that and the concept was fun when you saw it you were like oh that's just that's a cool way to to shoot a film that's just a nice idea to do it that way and it's got almost like um, a Stranger Things feel to it it's not you know it's completely different to Stranger Things in terms of the content but it's when that sort of like black box mystery sci-fi kind of started yeah like re-emerging and then it was like lost and and all those sort of you know those ideas where the mystery is the most powerful thing it doesn't have to be sort of in your face um like you know vfx all the time spectacle all the time The, the more powerful thing is to not tell you information and to have the tension build up at that kind of that sort of started all of that because by the, the end of Cloverfield, you, you some people aren't satisfied. You know, they're kind of like, well, "What was that?" Yeah. What was? That? And you have to watch the film. It is good. Um, and it's the same with the Blair Witch Project. It's kind of like you get to the end, you're like, "Oh, what was that?" Like, oh, and, and you, you you don't know, but it's the mystery is more potent than seeing yeah. it. You know, it's cool. 
I do actually. I need to watch Blair Witch Project as well. I always remember. It's quite a creepy film. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't tend to watch horror films. Oh, but, I don't either. But it's the kind of. It's. I don't know. I would watch it with maybe a friend or something to take the edge off of it. But yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's it's one of those films where. You can see the cleverness in it, and it's the first time they did it, you know. And it's a bit like, um, what's his name, Orson Welles, when he did uh, when he did uh, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, the Worlds. Yeah, and he, and he did the radio film, broadcast. Man. Yeah, and and everyone thought it was it was real on the yeah. radio, and I think people went to see Blair Witch Project and and flipped out because they were like, this is this has happened this is like found footage yeah. and I think even part of their marketing was like this is a real video yeah where... I have actually seen clips from the marketing where they're presenting it as something that's just leaked on the web from somewhere and that's so freaking creepy I mean that's like that's that's just really smart so yeah it's this sort of borderline where you take your your franchise you take your fictional concept and then you present it as as, as an event that's really unfolding in real time and yeah. that's just just, just a very potent idea I think and like you say that would be really cool for Fallen Kingdom I was actually thinking about this earlier before we started recording and um, on the subject of camcorder footage how Mm. cool would it be if we saw like a viral video of somebody who had got onto Nublar after the Jurassic World incident just going through what's left something like that so cool yeah see this is yeah yeah like like this footage was recovered on such and such a date. And, yeah, and, and it could be presented right. at um, like an in-gen board meeting or something. So it could yeah. be shown as evidence. Just something like that would be really, really even good. In, even if it ended up in the film, that would be a wicked idea. It's, yeah. I'll tell you why that is. There's something really creepy about a, um, a distance between you and an event that's caused by technology. Yeah. So, like, um, the, the equivalent is when they're sat in the control room in Jurassic Park and they're seeing the fences go down on their screens yeah. or in in the novel when they're tallying how many dinosaurs are on the island and then they ask to change the maximum tally to another amount and they see they've actually got double the amount of dinosaurs on the island that they expected. That sort of cold transmission of information through technology and you not actually being present to witness it yeah, is, I agree is more frightening than actually seeing, oh, there's double the amount of dinosaurs in this field. Yeah, because it, it becomes a oh my god moment. This has happened, and I've not even noticed it, and now exactly. I'm in danger. Yeah, and it's going on in this, you know, cut off land. It's just a really clever concept. I just yeah. think that's that's really marvelous when they do that in a film. It is yeah. um because st- at the moment, as I think I've mentioned to you before, I'm a marketing apprentice for a charity. Um, oh wow, fantastic! Yeah, it's really fun, but actually, like doing marketing and seeing how easy it is to kind of make opportunities if you work hard at it, it Mm. it upsets me that we see so little from films because I mean, doing like pioneering things like little clips from film sets and things like that that hint at things would do so much to just add hype to fan bases I think Absolutely, I think maybe what they're trying to do is um, uh, imitate the success of uh, of Star Wars Episode Seven, where everything was locked down and watertight until the film came out. Yeah, um, and that might be what they're trying to do in order to create a, a, a sort of a, a level of surprise when you see the trailer or see the the finished film. And sometimes that works in their favour. It's a bit like um, 
an early release of a game and you know and having a you know a yeah. sort of a, a not being able to an embargo and not and not having anyone you know give their opinion on it before it comes out sometimes because the game is really bad yeah but some <laughs> but sometimes it's because actually they want the secrets to remain a secret until you see the actual picture and you know that's not that's not a bad thing no, so yeah. what i would say is sometimes the behind the scenes stuff these days with blu-rays is lacking i think it's due to the fact of the kind of proliferation of um, of uh, like online media like Netflix and yeah. um, and uh, Amazon means that actually extra content isn't what you're searching for. You know, yeah, there isn't there isn't. You like, just search for the core thing now more than anything. Yeah, yeah. You don't look for Jurassic World special features. Uh, so that kind of means that in terms of where they're getting a lot of their revenue, that's evolving and changing and physical media isn't as, you know, isn't as money making as, as, as digital media now. So yeah, that means that the demand for special features and extra content is going down, which is, yeah. you know, that's a real shame. It is DVDs a shame. Yeah. was like the golden age for special features. It would be nice so. if Netflix added a way to access them. Yeah, I, this well, is something I had thing. thought about in the past, actually. Would be amazing. I think they will as time goes on. I think the, as the demand grows, what they are doing is like episode recaps, aren't they? They're doing yeah. like shows where they go over an episode afterwards with the creators. That's brilliant. Are you referencing Stranger Things by any chance? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched. And do you know what? I haven't watched any of the recaps because I'm going through the whole. I, can't, I don't know which episode I'm up to. Five or six, I think. Yeah. But I haven't watched any of the recap stuff because when the recap first turned up in my list, it was like, um, it was saying, um, watch it all first. No, it was like it was something like it showed them with with an image that was a spoiler in the image, and I was like, oh, oh. that would annoy me so much. I was like, wait a minute, that's the thing that I've seen introduced, but it's like bigger, and I haven't seen that yeah. yet, and. So anyway, yeah, I remember thinking, right, well, I'm not going to watch that until I finish the whole series. But I've been told it does it like pick up at episode three or something. They start doing the recap. I don't know. Um, if I was you, I'd just wait till the end because the way it's set up is it is just um, one big discussion that's split into episodes that happened after um, episode nine. And if I remember correctly, the first episode references a scene in episode nine. So I would wait till you finished. Oh goodness! Yeah, see, that's what I mean. I just hate that. Yeah. But anyway, it's good. It's good to have extra content like that, and I appreciate that. But it's more interviewee and a sort of celeb chat show type thing rather yeah. than here's some footage that we took on set when we were filming, and this is how we shot this, and this is how the VFX were done. Um, I think that kind of stuff is is really key. I mean, it's kind of gone the days where visual effects breakdowns are on the the blu-ray not we never always. seen them anymore really though do we no they they mm. leave them till later because they're trying to get an oscar for their visual effects so they tend to do that real later yeah if you see what i mean so they kind of enter for the award ceremonies a year later or whatever and then they kind of turn up online and you're like oh okay so you do get sometimes vfx breakdowns on the blu-ray but they tend to you know if they do surface the good ones tend to be like a year later or so and that used to be a big thing on dvd you used to have like the VFX breakdown with it, with every film that would come out, you'd be like, "Oh, cool! Like, this is how they did this, and this is how they did that." And interviews with the people who did the visual effects, and yeah, it was just, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, was good. Good. I point. think sometimes it is really, it's nice getting to see the hard work that people put in. Like, absolutely. Um, I did 
before I started my job, I was a media student at a college for two years. And right. as part of that, I actually did... Um, uh, I actually did two days on a proper TV set. So seeing the kind of hard work that actually goes in behind the scenes to get everything from point A to point B and actually get it onto the screen is insane. Like, That's the right. amount of commitment these people have starting at, like, five o'clock in the morning and not finishing till nine o'clock at night is... I think it is a shame that we are moving towards something where people are more of the attitude of they just want the product, they don't want to recognise anything that goes into kind of bringing that product to them. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's it also serves as a way to inspire the next generation of creatives. Yeah. So if it, if it disappears, then the people who want to work on film will have little to no idea because they haven't seen any of the behind-the-scenes stuff that would usually be attached with the content. So, yeah, I think the only good thing that does come out of that focus on the content and nothing else is that the story has to be stronger for you yeah. to focus on the content and nothing else. So, you know, if a DVD used to come packed with special features, you'd be like, the film might be bad, but I'm going to see loads of cool special <laughs> oh, yeah. features, you know, that I didn't see in the film. So that kind of means that then the, the actual content of the film isn't isn't as great, but the special features, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's uh, swings and roundabouts, I suppose. Yeah. So I notice we're getting close to the hour mark now. I think we've just hit 50 minutes, and obviously I don't want to keep you for too much longer. So no, that's cool. I would say, what would be your main hope for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? What would you like to see? Um, I actually made a, a tweet about this ages ago, and I'm trying to remember <laughs> all the things that I listed, but a lot of them have come true. I think it was like... Returning cast members, um, more use of uh, animatronics. If I possible. think I saw this tweet because um, those things definitely ring a bell. Things I didn't like were like the hybrids. I didn't like the introduction of hybrids because, yeah. like, if you if you go back to what I was saying about the beginning about dinosaurs being resurrected. That's what I like about Jurassic yeah. Park. Like so. you were saying the other day, how it would have been so much cooler if it was actually like an unfound dinosaur, weren't you? That yes, led to yes. extinction. Yeah, and actually was like maybe responsible for the extinction. So it was like so predatory that it wiped out all the other dinosaurs. Like, yeah. how cool would that be? But you know, that's that's a concept that maybe they could use in a future one. I don't know if they do a reboot, but I I think that you know. There's there's a few things that I didn't like about Jurassic World the hybrids the um, the raptors being trained I yeah. I liked the concept in the trailer but I didn't like the way it was executed in the film and I think actually in terms of like the thrusts of the film you had the Irex and you had the raptors being trained I think you needed one or the other yeah I would agree with that because it felt very split at times yeah and yeah. I knew they were trying to cram all these concepts into it like look we can do this we can do that it's a cool film it's <laughs> okay alright but I felt like you know that was one film hybrids was one film deal with that and yeah. go in depth into hybrids and why that's a bad idea training raptors that's a whole nother film go into another yeah. film and show why that's a bad idea or why it's a good idea you know kind of i think i think you've got enough material to work with for, for, for two films there yeah i would um, agree with that so yeah that was my feeling so i did say no hybrids and no, no trained raptors but i think what i probably mean to say more eloquently is deal with everything in its in its own time and and and, and pace it a bit more um, and also I said bring back like um, a veteran screenwriter like um, David Kep but actually David Kep hasn't done great stuff recently someone pointed out to me on Twitter so yeah. I'll concede that that probably wasn't <laughs> a good idea but I think a veteran screenwriter like um, Lawrence Kasdan who's doing all the Star Wars films wouldn't hurt 
yeah. because uh, it brings warmth to the characters and um, humanity to the characters because you're bringing essentially the wisdom of someone who's old yeah. into the writing fold. You know, you're bringing someone who actually knows... There's, there's a thing about... Um, there's a quote from one of the Pixar directors about animation... And it says, animation is the illusion of life. If you haven't lived it, you can't make it. And I think that that's true for all filmmaking. I think if you haven't lived a life or if you haven't got the experience to draw upon, sometimes the screenwriting shows that. And I think actually bringing on a veteran seasoned screenwriter like Lawrence Kasdan or equivalent yeah. would, would bring a lot to the franchise. You'd, basically, they'd look at the screenplay and they go, well... You know, split the Irex and the Raptors into two movies. First of all, you know, you've got enough material to work. With. You know, they, they just have that. They bring that experience yeah. and they they develop the characters in the way that feels like they're human beings. Um, so yeah, that was my that was my main thing. It's quite were, interesting you touching on the characters actually, because I know when I um, did my two year media course at college, a lot of what came into it was how. Uh, oftentimes characters fit into certain stereotypes and I think I did a essay for my media theory where right. I, I, I was basically able to find a stereotype for every single main character in Jurassic World so like Chris Pratt for example he's just your typical like badass muscly dude there's nothing more to him beyond that and they don't develop his character that much more beyond that no, and, and I think um, a lot of Jurassic World fans concede that that is true yeah um, yeah, I, I think that's a shame. I mean, I don't know. You could say the same thing with Jurassic Park that there are there are stereotypical characters, but I think there's more humanity developed in the characters yeah. in, in Jurassic Park. Um, even just from the get go, you know, with Alan and Ellie walking up a hill talking about babies smelling and stuff. You know, like that sort yeah. of extra. It's more everyday life than just breathing space. Exactly, yeah. injecting that humanity. It's like the same thing with Stranger Things. You have, you have extra information that you don't necessarily need but what it does is it builds up those characters and allows you to relate or not or or understand them as a human being and that actually is more important than seeing a big flashy new hybrid dinosaur on the screen or talking about it it's 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 the building up of your relationship with those characters and i feel like in fallen kingdom that needs to be established more with the main characters for us to actually like them enough to go and see them in a third film because if they're just the same as they were in the last film, then you're going to kind of feel like, well, who are these people that I've been watching for the past two movies? <laughs> yeah. Who are they genuinely? Who are they now? And, you need and... to feel a relationship with the characters. You need to be able to understand and invest in them. Exactly. And I mean, I've seen the Jurassic World uh, two and a half times now, and I uh, don't feel like I really got to know... I mean, this is just my opinion. This isn't, this isn't everyone's opinion, but I feel like I don't. I didn't really get to know either either of the main characters, and also I think that, that there is a little bit of a flaw in introducing them second to the children because you feel like the children are the main characters, and then you're pulled away, and it's like, oh, Claire and Owen are the main characters, yeah. but I haven't really been introduced to them properly. I'm just thrown in with them doing what they're already doing, but I don't really know anything about them, and then I'd learn a bit more about them and the fact that they had a relationship once. But I don't really know either of them independently yet enough for me to yeah. understand them as individual characters. And then we just carry on with the film. So I feel like there is more exposition needed and a bit more character development needed for us to grow to like these characters. And I hope that's what Fallen Kingdom injects. I think we're in safe hands with Jay Bayona, I think. Yes, yeah, so do I. He, he's probably the man to do that. So I think... Um, what do you, you want from Fallen Kingdom? <laughs> 
I was just going to say quickly before I address that, you raised an interesting point about the film starting with the kids. Because if you think about it, how different would Jurassic Park be if you started with that excited grandpa scene through the eyes Mm -hmm. of Lex and Timmy? It would set a completely different tone for that film. Yeah, and I'm not sure I'd like it. Yeah. Because it would be... It feels more like like a a, kid's day out than anything. It would be a childlike dream. That's the problem. And actually, that's something I've said about Jurassic World from the get-go, is it's a bit dreamlike, because you are going to something that you're aware is a death trap because we've had three films of it so far. So you're kind of like, as an audience, but also even as someone who would have lived in that world, surely you would be... I don't know. People say the, the time has passed and things have changed, but... I still think it's like amazing that people even yeah go want to, to this go island. to it considering what happened because yeah, yeah. we know for a fact by um, Jake Johnson's character Lowry that even though the original was quite covered up, people found out about it. Merchandise yeah, was available. Yeah, for so it. then it's like whoa. Yeah. So I think you know, yeah, it changes the way I feel about the film. I think it's important to go through an adult perspective at the beginning because it gives you. Uh, it's hard to say, but it gives the film more of an authority over the viewer. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And I think it's like, it's because it's told from an adult's perspective and it's quite grave at the beginning of Jurassic World. It's like, this is really serious stuff. And now here's the awesome theme park. Whereas Jurassic World is like, this isn't serious stuff. This is a children's dream. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go to the park. And now here's the serious stuff. But you're in the children's dream world. Yeah, it's already set a different tone than what the film's yeah. trying to meet. Yeah, I agree yeah, with that. So you're kind of like that veil of that sort of, that sort of introduction of reality is a bit later when you're kind of already like, oh, well, I'm kind of in a dream world right now. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to dip into dealing with real stuff at the moment and then yeah. I, I don't know I feel I, that's why I feel Jurassic World is very dreamlike to me it's a bit like if you were dreaming about Jurassic Park and thinking like you know what would I like to happen in my in a game maybe it feels like a very much a good game narrative actually yeah. for me um, but yeah no, it's, I mean that's just my opinion anyway that's just my feeling I think in terms of what I'd like to see I'd like to actually see a lot more implications for what's happened so, um, obviously we've had little hints and teases at that already from people like Frank Marshall, but mm-hmm. I'd really like to see more ethical debate and more kind of, okay, we've made this mistake this many times now, it's had this impact. And I think a large part of that would be something to do with it going wrong, but on a much more colossal scale, where more people are put um, at risk and more people are exposed. So, I like I've seen ideas getting thrown around where people are like, oh, do it like Planet of the Apes, and I think that's far too extreme, but Mm -hmm. maybe something like the San Francisco sequence in The Lost World, but where we actually get reference back to it, because one of the um, biggest gripes I've had throughout is that a dinosaur gets let loose in a city, and we Mm. see barely any kind of consequence because of that, when it is actually something quite significant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's discussed in Jurassic Park 3, but it isn't really, yeah, I know what you mean, the the trauma of it isn't really dealt with uh, in a way that's like palpable. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you raised some really good points, and actually, you made me think about the fact that the whole argument of Jurassic Park, the kind of the the debate that Ian Malcolm has with Hammond, that whole debate would be cool to bring that back up as well and have a round table where people are discussing where they've come and what's happened since and yeah. what's what's happening now. Like, it'd be good to have Ian Malcolm in that discussion again and be like, "Look, guys." 
I told you in 993, this is what's going to happen. This is what's happened now. So we're all the way here now. So from here, we've got to do this, you know, and kind of yeah. like step in and have that debate again to kind of bring that scientific, clinical, you know, theoretical-ness back into it, I, yeah. I think. But yeah. I think, yeah, there's definitely like... Like, I think the arguments from the original still ring true, as you had through the franchise. Like, um, I mean, like you said, that discussion Ian Malcolm has with him, he says about packaging it, slapping it on lunchboxes. Look yeah. at Jurassic World. It was literally a massive merchandise thing that um, InGen put together. So they, they've not learnt from their mistakes, and I think... No, no. I guess, I, I mean, sort of like bringing it back to a serious discussion where it's sort of like... It's 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 debated in a way that's kind of like, um, it's it's kind of it, it becomes more exposition rather than uh, spectacle. So like yeah, it's just it, I mean probably the, the 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 closest scene I can think that's that's close to that in Jurassic World is my favourite scene in Jurassic World, which is the Masrani Claire chat yeah. at the beginning. That's my favourite scene in the whole film because it's like it sets up the concept of the film very cleverly and the atmosphere, the tension is great. I, I love that scene. That just, that scene is, is brilliant. And I wish yeah. the film kind of maintained that feeling of tension all the way through. It was similar with the Wu conversation, but I don't feel that was as well written no. as the Claire Masrani chat. And that for me, I was like, Oh, this is back to Jurassic Park. And I was kind of like hopeful at that point in the film that it was going to be, really good but it seemed like as the film went on it got more and more dreamlike but that yeah. was just that was just my, I think they point. killed off the character who had the best perception of it by killing off Maserati because he seemed yes. to be the one person who really understood as the film was progressing oh god we've made a big mistake here we need to do something about it um, yeah I, I he was know. also it was also a very good representation of Hammond in a way because yeah. he was sort of godlike and omnipresent and sort of like oh it'll be fine you know sort of that sort of mentality yeah. where it's just has no awareness of, of you know reality because he's so high up in the in the sort of uh, business food chain but yeah I no, do wish good. they hadn't killed him off I think he I, uh, I don't know it felt very cliche he was like oh I'm the only one who can fly a helicopter I must go and do this I yeah I know I, yeah I know that's yeah I think yeah. it was a wasted ha character sadly yeah yeah, I wouldn't have had too much of a problem with him flying the helicopter if it worked out. I think if something, yeah. but I think the fact that he dies, yeah, I don't know. Then again, though, if we're gonna <laughs> go off on a tangent with wasted characters, which we won't do because it's late, there is a whole different discussion that could be had about Zara. So, oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll save that for that. another day. Yeah, save that for another day. Well, <laughs> it's been very good chatting to you, man. I think yeah, we've thanks. actually covered it's a lot of really interesting facts, and it's been good to kind of have a almost face-to-face -face chat about it as opposed to just Absolutely. Twitter. Yeah, awesome. Are there any last words you'd like to say, man? Um, here's to Fallen Kingdom trailer. Let's uh, let's get excited. Woo, not long now. I agree with that. Perfect, right. Cool. Thanks Thank for you for on, being man. on tonight, man. So there you have it, guys. That was my special sit-down with Jurassic Collectibles to talk about the original Jurassic Park and what we hope to see in Fallen Kingdom. If you'd like to join in with any of the Twitter conversations you've, we've mentioned today, you can find us on Twitter. I'll leave our Twitter handles in the show notes for this episode. And as well as that, if you would like to get involved, 
you can see Jurassic Collectibles' latest video on his Barbasol screen accurate prop, which is a phenomenal piece. He's put so much attention to detail and it's phenomenal. I will leave a link to that video as well so you can get involved in the conversation with that. I hope you enjoyed this special segment at the Innovation Centre and I look forward to bringing you more in the near future. What's it? Copies. I read your book. So? I got turned around here. What's high here? Is this a bird or something? Yeah. Did you read Malcolm's book? You don't want to know. And I appreciate that. And then my teacher told me about this other book by a guy named Backer, and he's... Well, it's... it's great. Mommy! Daddy! You've got to come see this! I found something! Royal! When he and Jen cleared out, they left a lot of stuff behind. Zerk? Sure. This is T-Rex P. I read both of your books. Well, that's two things that we have in common. Hello, y'all, and welcome to the new segment, The Missing Copies. Um, first, before we begin, I do want to thank... Uh, Brad Jost and the Jurassic Park Podcast for being nice enough to let me try this segment out. And I hope that uh, the listeners of the show enjoy it. Um, I'm normally going to be joined by uh, two co-hosts, uh, Mike Vitrike and Chris Rexdell. Uh, they are not here today. This is just the intro of the segment. I wanted to real quick talk about what you guys can expect from us and um, you know, just some basic background info on myself. So I guess real quick... Um, I grew up with Jurassic Park. I, uh, you know, I didn't see the first uh, film in the theaters, but I did get to see The Lost World. I, I remember my uh, parents being very uh, upset about the uh, T-Rex wishbone scene, which is probably one of my favorite scenes from all the films. But I do remember them talking about the uh, violence and how it wasn't real, as if I didn't know that at that age. But uh, I do remember Jurassic Park. Um, my dad was a DJ and he had uh, a very good sound system and he brought home the VHFs and I was too young to see the whole thing so he would show me pieces of it and uh, I'll never forget when I actually finally got to see it all the way through and uh, I was so scared I, uh, I was shaking the couch I was on. Uh, so I kind of left a mark, and um, I never uh, forgot it. And once I was in high school, I was able to go back and read the, the novels based on by Michael Crichton, and uh, realized that there was some pronounced differences between the uh, film and novel version. And um, that kind of led me to uh, this idea uh, for the segment, along with uh, the re release of Jurassic World, um, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. And... Um, thought it was a pretty pretty worthy sequel uh, to the original film and you know I know it's not uh, it's a controversial statement but uh, you know thought it was a, a very very solid film um, and that led to this idea of you know really looking at how the original novel inspired all the films within the series that we all love so much and um, really breaking down you know the characters locations and uh, descriptions of things and you know, really looking at how, you know, they compare and not being, uh, we're not going to review anything in this. Um, you know, we might talk a little bit about certain segments from the films, like, you know, certain scenes and what we think uh, 
you know the the differences whether they were you know better in the book or or better in the film like but just in a very vague sense we're not here to review the films we love all the films uh even though obviously um I don't think I'm alone in saying the third film wasn't perfect, and some people think the fourth one wasn't very uh, perfect either, but uh, we're not going to get into that. So this is really going to be a segment that compares the original Michael Crichton novel uh, closely with the first film, and then actually Jurassic World, because there's a lot of things in that book that uh, Jurassic World used that not many people in the community are really talking about, and I don't feel, given Jurassic World, the credit it kind of deserves. Uh, for for doing that stuff and I've heard uh, a lot of uh, people on the mailbag segments of Jurassic podcast um, commenting on you know things from the book and um, you know it's just uh, you know how like the lost world compares to the book and the movie for example and uh, I'm hoping that those people really enjoy this segment and that's kind of who we're making it for so I guess uh, without going too much longer because I've kind of been rambling here uh, and I don't have my co-host. Guess I'm gonna say that uh, you know it's it's for you guys. We're doing this, and if uh, if you want to leave us comments or if you want to email us and um, you know with things that maybe you want covered on this segment, uh, we'd be more than happy to do that. We're gonna set up an email here. It's gonna be the missing copies at hotmail.com, and you can email us uh, any you know anything you guys uh, want to do. Just uh, please keep it uh, you know nice. We don't want a bunch of uh, you know, negative comments. So if you, if you can keep it, uh, you know, pleasant, uh, that would be appreciated. But uh, you know, I'm not too worried about it with this community. The Jurassic community is a is a great fan community, and I'm very proud to be part of that community and very hopeful for the future of what this uh, segment could bring. And I guess real quick, we'll kind of give you an overview of what how this is going to work. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down the first novel into chapters. We're going to do chapters five at a time. Um, we will list, you know, the chapter headings, a little bit of a summary on what happens in that chapter. We're going to go through the characters of those chapters introduced or, you know, keep talking about. We're going to talk about, you know, locations too, because there's actually, you know, locations mainly within the, within the island, but they're pretty different from the film as far as where things take place. Uh, of course, we'll be going down the dinosaur list, uh, which is very different from the film. And, um, you know, just our overall impressions of a chapter. Um, my two co-hosts have actually never read the book. Um, they've only seen the films, so they're going to be new to this. And uh, I've read the book probably once a year for the last 12 years, so it's it's definitely something I know through and through. But for any of you that have not read the book and have just seen the movies, maybe this will uh, get you guys to, you know, take that plunge and, uh, you know, either download the book on uh, uh, Kindle, or you could always listen to the Audible version, which is actually pretty good. Um, the guy that reads it, I, I think, is pretty decent. And, you know, if, if nothing else, hopefully that uh, that gets you to do that, because they really are great books. And if you like the films, I think you'll really enjoy the, you know, reading the books. There's a lot more detail, and I also think it'll give you a better appreciation for all the films, even Jurassic Park 3. So, you know, that's the intro to this segment. I don't have any music yet. Uh, I'm not sure about copyright, so I haven't uh, put any music on this. I'm hoping Brad can kind of help us out with that maybe if he wants to put a temp track on this or something. We're, you know, still new to this whole podcast thing, but if you guys like us, we'll, uh, we'll keep doing them. And I'm also thinking that down the line, if this is a segment that proves popular, we might do a uh, script read 
uh, for the original Jurassic Park film script that was written by Michael Crichton. And I don't think a lot of people have actually like looked at that, but it's it's pretty interesting read, and it's it's actually very different from both the book and the film that we ended up with. So it might be a fun thing to kind of look through and uh, and go through uh, scene by scene, you know, and talk about. So again, we're kind of going to look at what the feedback is from you guys, and um, you know what you want us to talk about, and hopefully, like I said, you know, you guys have a good time with this. Uh, we certainly are going to have a good time talking about this with each other and uh, and with you as the you know community. Again, rambling here, uh, but uh, here I am, sitting by myself, uh, talking to myself. That's uh, chaos theory, right? In the words of Ian Malcolm, definitely one of my favorite characters. Yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll end this here. I can't really think of anything else to do. Voice is hard without a co-host. Well, once again, if you guys want, you can reach us at that uh, email. Uh, it's going to be the missing copies at uh, hotmail.com. And you can uh, put questions, comments, and uh, how we're doing and um, anything else you'd like us to discuss, uh, as long as it relates to the novels, because that is going to be the main discussion point here, is the novels, not necessarily uh, the films. I mean, obviously we'll talk about the films, but this is really more about the novels the films are based off of. So, you know. Hit us up, and uh, once again, Brad Jost, thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to put this segment on the podcast. Uh, I'm an avid listener, and I've been listening to this podcast for going on a year now, and caught all up with the uh, the archive, and you know, I'm looking forward to being part of it, and so are my co-hosts. So, once again, thank you. This is Justin Kelly signing off on the Missing Copies segment. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 133rd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Tom and his guest Jurassic Collectibles for another awesome installment of the Innovation Center. This episode is really a testament to how much this podcast has expanded over the years, and I'm so glad to have people like Tom and our new segment hosts for joining in on the fun. Great segment, guys. Thanks, Tom. I'll hear from you again soon, and hopefully Jurassic Collectibles as well. Speaking of the new segment host, thanks to Justin as well for joining the podcast to cover the novels and uh, maybe a little bit about how they compare to the films in the Missing Compies segment. Don't miss his own podcast. The Missing Compies on iTunes and Google Play. He just started over there, so make sure to give him your support. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make 
make it easier for fans like you to find us. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Enjoy.